0: Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to what is a very special edition of In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, now, it's, it's funny that when you start off on these little projects and you think to yourself, oh, here we go, this is a good idea. I really like to talk about government communications. And I don't know if you ever really start and think to yourself, I wonder how long this will go on, but it is such an area of depth and such an area of interest. And there are so many fascinating people who are doing such great work in government communications around the world that... I think we can run for many, many years to come, but this is episode 100, and we have a very special guest. But before we come to him, we start, as we do each week, with the definition of content communication as it relates to government and the public sector. So content communication is a strategic, measurable, and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So there it is. Now, in podcasting, there is this tradition that for the 100th edition of your program that you invite the person who was on your first show and for me that was Alex Aiken and Alex is the executive director of government communications for the UK government and a superstar when it comes to government communications around the world and he was ap- appointed in December of 2012 and he has been responsible for creating the government communication services and developing so many of the UK's very successful cross-government campaigns now I won't go through his bio because I did that on the first edition and if you need to know a little bit more about Alex, you can go back there. But he joins me now from London and Alex, welcome to In Transition once again. David, it's an absolute
1: pleasure to be with you and many congratulations on your 100th edition.
0: Isn't it fantastic though that it is such a, there is so many things that we can talk about and it's it's something that we should talk about more and we should promote more.
1: Well, I hope that uh, colleagues in Australian Public Service Communications will utilise all of the um, 100 editions to date. Who knows? We might be 200 in uh, due course. But the content of communication knowledge that you have provided over the uh, 100 editions, and I I watch the um, uh, emails as as they uh, come in and and learn from them, is hugely valuable because communications, I believe, is more science than art as you say in your definition of content communications it is strategic measurable and if it is done with creativity and it is useful and relevant it will have the impact on the citizen audience that you set out in your definition
0: so it's such an important time isn't it at you know for government communications to become more effective in this day and age of fragmentation, of fake news, for government to be able to be effective in their communication. So you guys uh, in the UK, guys and girls, I should say, in the UK have really led the charge off a lot of that um, innovation. How about you just take us back to the beginning of, of the change program that you introduced and then maybe fill us in with where you are at, at the moment and what are those big challenges for you at the moment that you're dealing with?
1: One of the things we're looking at at the moment, uh, David, is how we deal with those um, uh, challenges around um, trusting government. And I think it's right to start by saying that government is generally trusted in terms of public communication. And there's always a debate in Parliament, uh, in Canberra or in London and indeed around the uh, world about the policies and the particular political take on uh, policies. but Most of the work of government communicators locally, at state level, at national or federal level is trusted public information. It's asking people to play by the rules, to do the right thing and and so on. I think we should start by remembering that most of the time government is trusted by the citizens to help them do the um, uh, right
0: uh, thing. Okay, but do you think, though, that there there has been a challenge and that that trust is perhaps eroding? Or is it more more perhaps the trust in politicians when you have a look at things like the Edelman uh, Trust Barometer that says maybe what you're saying is is not quite as accurate as you would hope it would be?
1: I think at a time when we're all potentially uh, content creators and distributors... And at a time when uh, the nature of modern society moves us from relative deference, and I want to come back to that in terms of the history of uh, UK government communications, indeed the history of public service communications, and when there have been some fairly well-publicized failings by public services around the world to tell the truth. And obviously in Europe and across the world, we look at the fallout from the financial crisis and people are rightly saying, what? is government doing to help me to live the life that I uh, aspire to? If you look at the um, uh, vote to leave the European Union in the UK... The British Prime Minister Theresa May uh, says rightly that that is not just a vote um, for or against the European Union, it is a vote for change and a vote for people to say, can you listen to what we are trying to tell you, can the political elite listen to what we are trying to tell you about um, uh, the job prospects we have, about perceived fairness in society, and yes, also, of course, about the relationship with the European Union. And I don't think government has been as nimble. Um, uh, in the UK or elsewhere as it could have been to respond to the um, uh, lessons of the past 10 or 15 years and the economic um, uh, shocks and great shifts in society. And obviously you've had a big debate on immigration in Australia as we have had in the UK. So I don't think government's been as nimble as it should have been to respond to those
0: public challenges. So what stops government being nimble?
1: I think that um, uh, we uh, do not listen as carefully as we should do to um, uh, the public all of the time. Now, this is quite a contested space because government, and I can tell you as Director of Government Communications, the UK Civil Service um, uh, tries to listen to what people are saying all the time. It is a constant part of being in government about, well, what are we hearing? And how do we uh, ensure that policy and the decisions uh, we take over taxation, over the provision of public services, um, uh, both uh, support our policy goals, are consistent with our fiscal ability to fund services and listen to people's uh, concerns. But I think that generally, um, uh, government should listen far more carefully and systematically using the huge variety of tools that are available uh, online that enable us to gain an understanding of what people are saying digitally and also in more traditional ways through consultations and through face-to-face in- engagement and using that data and saying, what are we being told? And rather than taking a position that well, listening is something that is, is an optional extra, it should be central to our, our communications practice and indeed to the creation of um, uh, usable and useful content.
0: Now, this indeed has been some. You know, you have invested in some work in this area. Um, the Australian Communications Academic Jim McNamara has been involved in that. What well, What's the big take takeaway from Jim's academic research that people listening to this podcast could perhaps integrate into their into the advice that they might give to their policy and program areas?
1: I think that. Um, uh we can come back. We're very grateful for Jim's work, and, and Jim has done some tremendous work in, understand, in helping us understand where we can improve our practice. Um, and recently, indeed, uh, this month, the Direct Communications Group, which is the um, uh, body that uh, oversees the operations of the Government Communications Service, uh, took the conclusions of Jim's work, and it's been turned into an operational um, uh, series of uh, recommendations. There were six recommendations, and what those six recommendations come to is we are going to be systematic in the way that we listen and evaluate and bring that knowledge from listening into our communications. What that means in practice is there is a new insight and evaluation uh, group with Uh, professionals drawn from each um, department to make sure we share the listening. There's a central library of research and best practice that enables people to see what is going on. Each department has been asked to uh, put in place an approach to horizon scanning, to looking to see what is coming up and what people are saying online that will help inform both policy and the delivery of operational uh, services so i hope that gives you a flavour of yeah. trying to make listening systematic across government communications
0: yeah you know, it does but i think the other thing that i i would draw attention to and this is not you know this is the lesson i think that a lot of people can take or a lot of government can take out of uh, the UK is this sense of collaboration. People don't listen to I- in in silos. People don't listen around, you know, the Department of Education or Employment or Training, or you know, th- they listen around issues, and therefore there is a need to share that rather than you know interrupting people for their views in you know nineteen different ways.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that, that that's absolutely right. Um, uh, in April, we will publish the um, uh, fifth cross-government communications plan. And as we've been going through the process of looking at the campaigns that we will deliver in 2017-18, we are a campaign-based organisation. We look at the objective of the audience and try and bring all the resources of public service to bear positively and productively on that audience. As we've gone through the various Groups um, uh, we uh, we operate in, in order to deliver a communications plan. There's an economic group, there's social policy, there's foreign policy, and, and, and so on. Then it becomes apparent if you're the director of communications at the Ministry of Finance and you're also and you've got colleagues in the room from different ministries that we are far stronger together. And that collaboration is the underpinning, is the foundation of an ability to listen and uh, respond to audiences. We're not perfect, you know, like any um, a good sports team. Uh, we get things right a reasonable amount of the time, but we're not complacent and we realise where we make mistakes and we've got to, to improve.
0: Mm, no, but the, but, but the structure's in place, the decision's been taken and, you know, as you say, now it's around execution as opposed to, you know, yeah. not even had that realisation yet that there, it is important that this collaboration take place. But anyway, I won't get onto my hobby horse because there are a number of people listening who are nodding their heads furiously because it seems to be something that in Australia at a federal level, we just haven't been able to get right. And this podcast uh, does have a global audience and I don't want to labour the point too much, but domestically here at a national level, we've struggled to get people to understand that it's a as much as possible, a single story that people are looking to understand. A complex story, no doubt, but a, but a single story. What advice might you have as to how, in fact, that we could have that realisation and get the lights turned on so our political masters may, in fact, see the benefit of this joined-up approach?
1: This month, David, marks the 100th anniversary of... UK government communications in a formal sense. Oh,
0: very good. Well, congratulations to you too, Alex.
1: hundredth podcast podcast (laughs) and a hundred years since February 1917, the uh, Ministry for Information uh, came into being in in, in London and that was set up because the government of the day thought that the public required more honest, relevant, timely communications than they had been um, getting to date. And as we've looked back, because we sort of almost by chance fell upon that anniversary, we've recognized that uh, government communicators have struggled and have fought valiantly over the past hundred years to get their profession recognised by officials and ministers. And there's always been quite a lot of pushback. And I would say to my colleagues in Australia that if you're worried about um, uh, ministers and officials and chief executives being sceptical about digital media and, and content generally, then your predecessors in the UK in the 1920s had to fight quite hard to get newfangled media like the television and radio accepted as part of the government communications offer. We had perfectly good posters and newspapers. (laughs) Why do we need television and um, uh, radio? And communicators being at the forefront of technological change has been one of the consistent themes that's come out of this history and have been far more early adopters, inevitably, than some of the policies or the operational uh, uh, services. But communicators have also had to consistently demonstrate their value And by value, it is um, uh, explicit in your definition of content communications. But when we have forgotten how to do that in the UK historical experience, then that is where we lose our uh, license to uh, operate. Um, There's a recent example where government communications in the UK was cut back significantly after 2010 because we couldn't prove the value of our campaigns. There's perhaps a more interesting example immediately after the uh, Second World War when uh, Churchill, the outgoing Prime Minister, actually wanted to close down the Ministry of Information. Um, But the incoming Prime Minister, Clement Attlee, the famous reforming Labour Prime Minister, who had in his early working life worked as a government communicator, he decided it was necessary to keep a government uh, communication service, a government information service, in order to explain to the public the Uh, reforming agenda that they uh, had. So the consistent ability to demonstrate value is one of those things uh, that gives us that licence to uh, operate um, over the years.
0: And so at the moment, like bringing that forward, and as you say, we are at a time of of rapid transformation in technology. How is it that you are continuing to, to add value because you do point to that 2010 period where you w- were unable to do it. But what are the changes that you've been able to make between 2010 and 2017 which has you know, strengthened that, that licence that you have to, to operate in the UK? Um,
1: I think there are five things which I will cover briefly, but I would offer to anyone who is looking at leading a communications team or improving a communications operation. First, um, you have got to have a clear idea of the destination. And certainly, I said when I took up this uh, role that government communications should be exceptional. Exceptional in terms of it should run highly effective campaigns that are efficiently delivered. Because, of course, you can run a campaign with twice the resources. The trick is to run it with limited resources effectively. So, Being exceptional was our goal and where I want us to get. And certainly, from a leadership perspective, just saying that does tend to reinforce those who want to give of their um, uh, best and does raise the performance of people. Second is that absolutely rigorous focus on uh, evaluation. While he was in the UK, Jim McNamara sat on the uh, Evaluation Council, which is the group I chair, that routinely looks at the performance of government campaigns and says, have they been effective? well, to a point, how can they be more effective and how can we use the best uh, evaluation techniques? So that's the point about uh, creating value. Third is that collaboration. And it it should be just the de facto practice, whether you're local, state or federal uh, level, that you cooperate and you learn from one another. And certainly in the UK, as we've got the National Public Health Authority to work with local government on improving people's health. You can't just call from on uh, Whitehall to improve public health, you have to work with local governments. And that practical co- uh, collaboration has helped. Fourth, celebrate um, success. And certainly by championing best practice, we have um, uh, proved our worth. And fifth, and perhaps it should be first rather than fifth, but understanding the political agenda and getting alongside the agenda of the politicians, because the vast, vast majority of politicians want to do a great job for the people they serve. And understanding their goals and what they want to achieve and showing how communications can be a powerful force for good um, means that you bring the bureaucracy and the political side together in a way that I hope benefits both.
0: So just let's take them – let's go through a couple of those. That last one, how do you most – how are you best able to engage with your – your political masters around understanding the value of the Government communication Service. What are some of the tips that you've got for people to be more effective in that very important role that they have?
1: Um, I think the first point, David, is they mean what they say. And certainly it was very clear when Theresa May became Prime Minister last July and stood on the steps of Downing Street and talked about her ambitions for, for, for the UK that was something that I listened to very carefully as did my senior colleagues and that is our destination that is what we've got to use government to uh, government communications to help achieve a country that works for everyone and an economy that works for everyone and I think um, I, I see uh, both in uh, yeah, UK um, authorities and overseas sometimes communicators don't are not. Um, uh, quick enough to recognise the legitimate agenda of the politicians. Our role is to promote, explain and justify the policies of the elected government. And getting alongside that agenda early on uh, will pay um, uh, dividends. I think also um, uh, we've got to be much stronger in speaking truth to power, explaining the purpose of undertaking communication activities. It is not to get um, uh, press coverage, although that might have an incidental benefit. It is to explain to people the direction we're going in, why we're um, uh, taking the um, uh, route we are, and demonstrate the benefit to them. And too much communication can sometimes be very tactical. We'll do this interview, or um, uh, we'll put out this press release rather saying we're doing this, because through media coverage, you can develop a public understanding of your position but we've got to think very carefully about the um, channels we use.
0: But in terms of the the, the practical the practicalities of that, and I, I I understand that notion of of paying clear attention and and uh, appropriate attention to what is being said, and then making sure that you can justify your position or, or your, you know, the benefit that you can ultimately add. But in a practical sense, these people are extremely busy. They've got so many issues running. They've got the media that they've got to, they've got so much going on. How can a public service communicator best represent their position and be able to uh, be in the consideration set of their political masters?
1: Um, get up early, understand what's going on <laughs> and keep your um, uh, political master uh, in- informed. Um, I, um, uh, My wife recently became leader of Westminster City Council and it was interesting watching the Westminster City Council team respond to a, a new leader and broadly uh, they, uh, they, they, they got it right. I think they're a very good team. But um, one of the things that certainly helped uh, my uh, wife was the production of a early morning briefing about what's going on, what the council um, uh, is doing, what the council's communications are for the day. And it was interesting seeing that because that gave her confidence as new leader that the comms team get it and we're on it. And uh, certainly um, by 7.30 each morning, the uh, cabinet office uh, team have put together a briefing for the ministerial um, uh, team. Obviously, um, uh, the same happens with, with, with the prime minister. And that early grip of the agenda is what I would offer in response to your question, David, as the starting point. If you get that point of the day right by 7.38, then uh, you've got a fighting chance for the rest of the day.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Now, let's go back to that top one, which I really like that idea. You've obviously got to have a destination. and. And and I do like this this notion of, you know, exception and being exceptional and really seeking people to get their chins up and look to the future and, as you say, you'll you'll identify the people who want to be involved in being exceptional and those who don't. But how, in fact, do you judge that, whether you're being exceptional? Do you have any definitions that help you to know whether you are being exceptional or is it just an aspirational uh, statement?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the um, uh, first things I I, I did when I took up this role was we um, uh, accelerated the capability reviews of government communication teams. And that was a a reasonably effective tool to understand what was good and what wasn't um, uh, good between about 2013 and 15. In 2017, we started a new round of communication capability reviews where we go into um, uh, teams in government departments and agencies and say, What's the strategy? Is the strategy aligned um, uh, with the department's business objectives? How are the communications operations? Is the traditional media operation integrated with the digital operation? Is the internal communications uh, working well? What is the skills and development program for staff? Are they um, uh, motivated by the best professional development to give of their best? And then are the resources aligned with the um, goals? And that process of capability review raises standards, increases competition, works out where people need to uh, improve. And that's the formal bit. There are informal things we have. And obviously, if you get your directs of comms together each uh, month, then there is a healthy competition, and they all present their communication plans, and they all want to do better than um, uh, one another because they want to do the the best. The monthly awards we have across government for the most effective uh, campaign still, um, they'll be going a couple of years, produce a remarkable number of uh, entries The Evaluation Council is is there to pick up about the big campaigns, about how successful they are. The quarterly reporting we have on our main, on our 25 uh, main uh, campaigns, make sure we're on track on on the big things. So, it is this constant um, uh, focus on are we getting um, uh, better, which means that we perhaps get nearer our destination. I'm not entirely sure what I would do if I thought we had got there. But our ultimate judges are are the um, public, and I, I'm sure they would say we're not there yet.
0: No, no. But it's, but again, at least you've got the structure and the process and the function and and the accountability mechanisms built into your system which is at least going to give you you know some benchmarks to work from to see I think
1: that's right yeah you
0: know without that you you're absolutely no no chance interesting I was in a discussion um in a particular government department today and I was trying to introduce this notion of healthy competition uh between different groups and I was you know, set upon by a couple of people who's like, no, no, we, we've got to break down the silos. You know, we've got, we can't have competition. We can't have people sort of up against each other. Um, I don't agree with that. I sort of tend to, uh, you know, support yeah. your notion that you've got to establish some sort of competition. So how do you keep the competition healthy without it becoming counterproductive?
1: Yeah, you make people work together. So we've got 17 main departments, but as I mentioned earlier, we have four groupings, economic, social, um, foreign, and our uh, public services uh, group. And seeing the Directors of comms work in those public service groups uh, means that they have uh, the economic ministries, the social policy ministries work together. And then we have cross-government forums, I mean, to look after our people and to make sure that we promote the best talent. We have a talent forum, which various directors of comms uh, sit on. We have other initiatives where they learn to work uh, together. So. They have professional pride, which creates competition between the departments, but they have professional discipline to jointly promote um, uh, the profession in government, the profession of communicators.
0: Fantastic! I think that's that's a great insight, and I think I will borrow that and make sure that that and that gave me, that that gives me an idea for a couple of things. So thank you. There's one thing that's come out of the hundredth edition is something yeah. that I can go and uh, take forward with other people. Now, just in terms of as you say, so the, the next steps. Where are the where are the biggest sticking points you've got at the moment? You know, I know that this is a sophisticated, working, but where are your problems? Everyone's got problems, so where are your problems?
1: most effective use of data, embedding the listening agenda and making sure the government communicators serve as ambassadors and help create advocates for the public services that we are promoting. So there's a massive amount of data out there. All your listeners will be familiar with that and making sure we make the best use of that um, uh, data, online data, even traditionally underused resources like the correspondence, the written email correspondence that comes into departments and understanding how we can then target our communications through understanding that data would be one. We talked about listening, which is the second. The third uh, one about government communicators, whether they're the most junior or the most senior, should be able to go out and communicate in their own right, um, uh, face-to-face with community groups, with students, with more senior uh, groups, and making sure that uh, government communicators have the skills in um, uh, in order to... Uh, go out and do that and talk to organisations, businesses and others who will then help us, you know, with public health campaigns and with other sorts of uh, campaigns. Those are the sort of three big challenges um, uh, I have, along with the day job, which, as you know, David, is um, relentless.
0: (laughs) indeed it is. Just in terms of – we've only got a couple of minutes to go – but in terms of those skills um, that you have developed and that commitment that you've made to skills and training – Obviously, an agenda that you are going to continue to invest in. What are the sorts of skills that you are looking for in somebody who can work effectively within the system that you've established there at the Government Communication Service?
1: Yeah. Um, In the um, uh, Future of Public Service Communications report, which is available on GCS website, we said there are four. Content, which is appropriate uh, in this 100th broadcast. Data, uh, which I have uh, mentioned. Social marketing and understanding the uh, science of behaviour change. And then the fourth is uh, the ability to create advocates for public service, people who can connect um, uh, with your audiences. So content, data, social marketing and um, uh, advocacy are the four big skills. Now, we have a training program that covers the whole of government communications that provides 2,000 training places, three leadership programs, and numerous seminars and events, which I hope demonstrates our practical uh, impact. We're bringing on uh, forward new courses uh, this year to better understand insight, to undertake horizon scanning properly, to really um, uh, understand digital marketing, which is an area which um, uh, is often talked about, but less well understood. So, again, it's relentless focus on if you are a professional, you need to be as trusted as your doctor, your lawyer, your architect, and therefore you need to have the best professional skills.
0: So in terms of that, though, why is it that you feel you need to do that? Are the universities not preparing graduates or not preparing postgraduate students with the requisite skills that you require?
1: Um, I think that... Universities do um, uh, some uh, terrific work, and um, uh, Anne Gregory, who's one of the academics who uh, advises us, has been central, for example, to our leadership um, program. Uh, But the applied learning you get from running a campaign and saying, I wonder how we could do that um, uh, better, means that we have to build on it. And also, any professional you will um, uh, talk to. In the UK, lawyers undertake um, uh, regular um, professional tests to make sure they keep up with their knowledge. And I think the same should be true of professions, including uh, communicators.
0: Yeah, no, indeed. No no argument with that at all. And I think that that's a, a very good use of people's time. And I think as the world continues to change... Uh, as it no doubt will, uh, you know we all need to be on this journey of continuous improvement, continuous learning, and it just never ends. So what's well, a good thing anyway if you if, if you like it, which I do and I, obviously you do, and most you know it's good fun. I hope when I'm in Australia
1: um, uh, in May, I shall see some brilliant examples of both content and um, uh, content creation and professional development.
0: Now, I'm sure you will, and that was uh, my final question was going to be there is a, a, a an Australian tour of uh, the Alex Aiken show yeah. where where might people uh, book in uh, to see to see you when you're in Australia what uh, where will you be and how can people get uh, across your 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 road show
1: well I I'm First, it's an absolute pleasure to have been uh, invited to uh, Australia to speak at the um, Corporate Communications uh, Conference in Sydney in in May, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. And I've got a couple of days in uh, Sydney and then a couple of days in uh, Canberra, and I'm sure through you or indeed directly to um, my office, if there are uh, people who want to be and have a, a chat while I'm there uh, with you in Sydney and, and Canberra I'd be absolutely delighted to uh, do so my purpose unfortunately on this trip is to come and work rather than see the sort of many beauties and opportunities <laughs> that Australia has to offer so I am uh, available for breakfast um, uh, lunch <laughs> uh, afternoon teas and um, uh, uh, early evening drinks.
0: No indeed well, well we will certainly keep you busy when you are here in Australia I know there's a A lunch planned. Uh, I need to talk to you about a few other things as well but certainly there's I think there's so much that we can we can learn from you Alex and uh, congratulations again on your uh, achievements. I love the fact that it is the hundred years and to be able to have gone back through history to see the parallels that things really don't change a lot. Uh, The challenges don't change, the technology may uh, but the lessons in history are always uh, are there and I'm I think there's some great insights that we can learn from that. Is there somewhere, is, is there a history written somewhere that we can perhaps uh, read at some point during the, during yeah, this year we'll, that will be put we'll, together?
1: Yeah, um, uh, we're just uh, finishing it, proofing it, checking it and all those oh, other great. Uh, basic but essential things and it will be published on the um, uh, 6th of March and I will bring you a personal copy from <laughs> uh, um, uh, Sydney.
0: Okay, fantastic. It'll yeah, okay, well, be we'll we'll
1: we'll on the GCS website.
0: Okay, GCS website as well. Oh, fantastic. All right, that's great as well. Okay, Alex, well, listen, I will let you get back to that very busy day job that you have, but thank you so much for coming back for the 100th edition of In Transition. And please, a special call-out to my friend Tom Burton, because in the uh, very first edition, I remember when I was summing up, I said said to Alex, listen, we'll get you back for the 100th, and he very quickly got on the email and he said, Pembroke, you're kidding yourself. You'll never get to 100. So, Tom... There you go, my friend. A hundred episodes in the can. So, uh, and may there be many more. And I'm, you know, I think I'll keep talking about this for many years to come because I do enjoy it so much, and I do look to my friends in the UK who have done such a wonderful job in setting up that that infrastructure that allows uh, this continual improvement and this commitment to exceptional. Uh, performance, I think, is a great thing, and I think we all do need to have those very big visions in front of us, so we can all aspire to do great things. Because in this day and age, ladies and gentlemen, as we all know, it is so important that government does communicate effectively, so that we can strengthen communities and improve the well-being of the citizens uh, of the communities in which we live. So, thank you very much, Alex Aiken, to you uh, for joining us all the way from from the UK. David, thank you. Congratulations on your hundredth edition. Uh, Thank you very much, Alex, uh, again, and thanks very much, ladies and gentlemen. We have again gone over a few minutes, but I'm sure well worthwhile listening to Alex Aiken and all the insights that he has there from the UK. But for another week, thank you very much for joining us. I am delighted to have celebrated 100 editions of In Transition and to our very loyal listenership, wherever you are in the world, uh, going about your work. I do hope that over the past 100 episodes, we have been able to deliver some knowledge that has helped you on your journey to become more effective. And we will continue for many, many years to come on this mission of delivering content and valuable content to you on a regular basis. So thank you very much for joining us this week and I'll be back again at the same time next week. So bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more visit us at contentgroup.com.au.